Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Morning Hour Chapel. We're glad that God has given us another beautiful day, and we hope those that have come out last uh, uh, yesterday had a great day at our fall festival. It was beautiful weather, and again, we thank God for that. And could you please rise and join us in singing our praises to the Lord? We'll begin with In Christ Alone. <laughs>
will, and we all know that will make this world a better place. You may be seated. And now we're going to have our children's story, so if the children could come up. handsome this morning. You all dressed up. Good morning. How are you guys this morning? I know you're so excited. It's been sunny out the past couple days, right? Finally. Finally, we've had some sun. Sometimes when it's sunny outside, we have to put things on to protect us from the sun. Like what? What might Sunscreen, sunglasses. You might put a jacket. They tell you when you're outside between really hot hours to cover your skin. Sometimes you might put a what on your head? A hood or a hat to like cover your face, like a visor sometimes. So when it's sunny, sometimes, hi. We have to cover ourselves sometimes from the sun to protect our skin or else what might happen to our skin? Do you ever get what? Yeah, do you ever get a sunburn before? It, yeah, your friend does. Got some you got some sunburn. Does it feel good when you get sunburn? No. No, it kind of hurts. Some you get like red and like you touch it and it oh, it hurts and if it rubs against you. So we have to protect our skin from the sun. Yeah. Yeah. Sunscreen. We ask we use sunscreen, sunglasses, put hats, clothes on top of us. Sometimes if you go to the beach, you might take an umbrella or you might have like a pop-up tent or something to cover yourself from the sun because we have to protect our skin from the sun, right? Yeah, so that's one way that we can protect our skin, we protect ourselves. There's other things that we have to protect ourselves from sometimes too. So whether you're in preschool or if you started school or maybe you're not in school yet, another thing that we have to do is we have to protect ourselves from things that might turn us away from Jesus. We might have to, if friends at school might tell us that they want us to climb up the slide backwards, well, are we allowed to do that? No, we're not allowed to do that. But they might say, oh no, go ahead, go ahead. I want you to do that. Or they might say, I dare you to do that. Has anybody ever say that to you before? Then you're like, oh my goodness. So we have to protect ourselves from things that might be not what Jesus wants us to do. So what are ways that we can protect ourselves from if someone, like sometimes, do you ever hear of R-rated movies? <gasps> I don't even like to watch those. Sometimes they may be things that are scary or things that we might not like to see. Or there might be some things when your mom and dad say, you can't watch that, maybe when you're older. Or we can't read that, maybe when you're older. They're protecting you. They're protecting you from things that might not be things that you are ready to see or you are ready to hear. And just at school, if a friend says, well, I really, really like that pencil on that friend's desk. Can you go take it from me? Is that what Jesus would want us to do? No, he wouldn't. So we have to protect ourselves from things that might turn us away from Jesus. How can we do that? What can we do? 
Yeah, you might just say, no, that's not something that I want to do. That's not something that I feel is right, or that's not right. What else? Also, there's like so many times of walking Yes, you can walk away. You can ask someone for help. Sometimes if you're confused, if someone tells you something or you hear something on TV or you hear something at school, you might be confused and you might not know, is that right? Is that, is that true? What could you do? Who could you ask? Who could you ask? Friends. Your friends? You could ask maybe your parents? Maybe teacher. Your teacher? Those are all ways that People, the adults, are all the adults always here to protect you? Or the police. Yeah, you could go to the police, I guess, if you need to. But all the adults, your parents, and guess what? Everyone in this church, if you needed help or you needed protection, would everyone in here help to protect you? They absolutely would. So if things are confusing or you don't know what to do or you feel like something's leading you away from Jesus, everyone in here can help to protect you and can help you. So just like we use sunscreen and sunglasses and things to protect us from the sun, sometimes we need help protecting us from things that might lead us away from Jesus. So we have parents, we have friends, we have the Bible, we have church, we have everyone in here that can help to protect us, right? So if you ever think, I don't know, I don't know what to do, you have lots of people that can help you and that will protect you. Yeah, you just ask them. That's right. That's all you got to do is ask them. Okay? Okay, let's pray, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for all of the children who have gathered here with us today. And thank you for all of the people in this church who will help watch over them and protect them. In your name we pray. Amen. Yeah, I think you guys stay here for a minute and then we'll... All right, so we're gonna run through the announcements um, and then the hymns and then you guys will get to leave. So this first announcement here is for our youth Bible study, which is this evening from 6.15 to 8. Um, this is for all of our youth in grades 6 through 12. Does anybody have any questions? And then this is the breakfast that the youth is going to do. Um, I know briefly a little bit what this is, and I don't think, no, Becky's not here. Um, so the youth is going to go ahead and prepare breakfast. Um, I am assuming for the entire congregation. Tori, do you know? Is it for everyone or is it for themselves? It's for everyone. It's for, okay, good, thank you. So this is for everyone. That's what I thought it was, but I don't want to assume. So this breakfast is for everyone. So our youth, if you guys get here early, like sort of how we have our morning cafe, if you can come in between 8.30 and 9.30, it looks like our youth is going to provide us um, a breakfast. So that will be exciting. That's going to be October 30th. And our church membership classes, um, October 30th or November 6th after church service will be up in the fellowship hall. Do you need to say anything else? Nope, so if you're interested, see Pastor Joe um, and keep those dates in mind. 
And of course, our Sunday school is growing and we need um, some behind the scenes helpers. We need people to help the classrooms be cozy and inviting, cleaning the toddler rooms, and I'm sure all the toddler toys, helping with the Christmas program. So if you would like to help, please see Lori. Lori, can you raise your hand? There's Lori. So if you're interested in helping at all with the children, you can talk to Lori after service. Ruth's Harvest. Um, Ruth's Harvest is the one um, that Bermudian Springs does. I think they get it like once a month, I see the kids. They get like a big bag of food to take home. Um, so specifically, each church gets different things. And so this school year, we have chosen to do mac and cheese, which would be those individual cups that you get that I think you just put boiling water in, kind of like a ramen noodle cup. Um, any brand. And then vegetable cups. If you look in the vegetable section where the cans are, they started making ve vegetable cups that look like uh, peaches. Like they have the same kind of plastic container, the same kind of tear-off lid, but instead of being fruit in those cups, there's veggies. So we're doing those and fruit snacks. Um, any kind of fruit snacks that you guys want to do. So they're the three things that we're in need of next time you're at the grocery store, if you could pick up one of those. And then we have baskets out in the front lobby that say specifically that they go there and then Cindy will deliver those to the school and then they get packed into the bags that the kids take home. Um, this is a good program. I see kids with these bags, so this is definitely something that the kids love, they're excited about. Do you have anything to add? Um, actually, they were packed up at the church in Abbottstown, and each month they send me a notice of a day that's going to be packed. So if anybody in the congregation wants to go up there and do the little assembly line and help up everybody pack it up, and then the St. John's Church takes it up to the school. Okay, so if you're interested in volunteering to help pack those I'll bags up. I'll put out on the board of when the dates are, that way anybody can do that. You can see Cindy to sign up to help pack the lunches. Thanksgiving luncheon um, will be to save the date November 20th after our church service. Um, I have the sign-up sheet back on the bulletin board. As soon as you walk out the doors, it's going to stare you right in the face, so you can't avoid it. So go ahead and sign up to bring um, something. There's easy things on there, I promise. There's something that you can just, like, rolls. You can just buy them and bring them. You don't have to be elaborate, but for those of you that have good recipes, I mean, we want them. You need to, you need to make them and bring them because we want to have a good lunch but this is always like the best meal, so you don't want to miss this. And our, Joy, do you want to come up and talk about this? Well, I'd rather do it here. <laughs> but now you can't, because we're online. In your bulletin, you will find the microphone. Yes, yes, I know, but I have a lot of Yeah, but they can't, they, they can't hear you at home. In your bulletins, and unfortunately they don't have those either, uh, you will find this uh, flyer insert. Please do read the story on the back. It's about a, a little girl's experience with a shoebox. And on this side, there are suggestions. One thing that is not ever included on these, if you were by chance going to include soap, please put it in a Ziploc bag so that the aroma of it does not permeate everything else in the shoebox. And also, there is, it's really important to look at this little do not pack items in here by virtue of the fact that they will have to then take them out. They will not be shipped. Uh, 
lot, some of the things are simply that would not be acceptable into whatever country they are going. There are lots of shoe boxes out there, folks. Thank you. Okay, so that is another great program. Um, but while we're on the subject of, and I know this one isn't specifically to Christmas, um, I just wanna give you guys a heads up. I did sign our church up for the Angel Tree program again. I don't have all the details yet, but just the, um, I just want you to be aware as you're out shopping if you see a good deal. Um, so that's the one where the kids at Bermudian um, need specific things like coats, shoes, pants, toys, books you will receive an angel of a child. Like for an example, you could get a child that is four years old and is a male. That parent will tell you what size clothing that that child needs or what that child really wants. And then you will pick that angel and go shopping, put it into a gift bag or box, and then we take it back to the guidance counselor at Bermudian Springs Elementary. The parents come then and pick those gifts up and then those gifts are saved for Christmas. Um, so this is a wonderful program for our families out there that, and especially now, I mean, now more than ever with the prices of everything being so out of reach, um, this is really gonna help these kids have a good Christmas. So just want you to be aware that the Angel Tree program is coming as well. Oh, and yes, we will have a video for this. come off those boxes, you've never seen such pure joy. So many smiles, the children just become wild and crazy. It's indescribable. To watch that child open that box for the very first time and see the look on their faces, and it's amazing that God used a simple shoebox to bring that much joy. This is amazing as you can see the children's faces, they're excited as they open up the gifts for the first time. What makes the gifts more than just gifts is the message that comes with the gift. This is the opportunity for a child to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the best gift of all, is becoming part of God's family. Thank you. We are very happy. God bless you. Yay! These people back behind us, they're giving their time. Families have given boxes. The enthusiasm, the excitement, it's off the charts. We're just so thankful for these volunteers. We couldn't do it without them. They are the heart of the ministry. And because of them, many children, like even me, accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior. What children need more than anything is love, hope, and faith in God. Every shoebox gift is an opportunity to share your faith. We thank you for this ministry that is yours, that you use a shoebox gift to go around the world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It starts with a simple shoebox gift, and from there, these gifts go around the world and are given to each child. It could be in a pickup truck, it could be the top of a bus, the roof of a taxi, camels and donkeys, canoes going up the river, whatever it takes to get these gifts into the hands of children. And that's only the beginning. After children receive the box, they get to go through a 12-lesson discipleship course. And these children, they're committing their lives to Christ, and they get to share their faith with other children. After a child completes the greatest journey, they graduate and receive a certificate and a Bible in their own language. My name is Romina Alejandra. I really like to draw and cook. One day I was drawing and I wanted some markers. And I asked my 
mother if she could buy them for me. She said no because she didn't have the money. Today, we received gift boxes. When I opened the box and saw the markers, I was very excited. I learned about God through the box. Today, I prayed that Jesus would come into my heart. smile on a child's face, gets them to know more about Jesus Christ, and also be disciples so that they can be disciple makers in the world. They're trained and equipped to go out and share their faith with others, and many times in areas where it's an unreached people group, the Bible tells us the time is now. We have seen churches being planted. We have seen people being transformed. of Operation Christmas Child never changes. Children are coming to Jesus and children are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is incredible. Millions of children around the world are being impacted by these simple shoebox gifts. One box can touch not just the child, but the whole family. So we need to keep packing those boxes and pray for the children that God will use this in a very special way. So thank you for being a part of it. God bless you. Just a short word. After three operations in eight days, I feel great. The only problem is my get up and go got up and went. And I don't know where it went, so if anybody finds it, please let me know. <laughs> Anyhow, let's stand and sing 256.
Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. Thank you. Be seated. Now the kids can go to Sunday school. And also, if I could have um, the ushers come forward, we'll pray. Um, and then we'll do our offering. Okay, so we'll look over our prayer requests on the back. Um, there's some families on here that are still healing from a loss of a family member um, or a friend. So we want to continue to pray for the families that have lost someone. Um, that's never easy. We want to pray for Emily Stoner, the one who is going through breast cancer. We pray that God wraps himself around her and helps her through her daily life. And we just pray for complete healing so that she has more time with her two young kids. And we're so thankful that Marion is with us today and could lead us in our hymns. So that is just absolute great news. And we're gonna praise for that. And Summer Storm, we're gonna praise for her too. Um, I have a picture here of what's going on. Summer is four years old and she has leukemia. And that's not something that ever has a happy ending. But Summer is gonna have a happy ending. For those of you who don't know, her mom um, is Tiffany Storm, but she used to be Tiffany Gobrecht. So these are the family that own Go Rex Golf Cart Services. Um, so this is their granddaughter. 
I grew up knowing them across the street, and that's how I know them, but Summer is a very special little girl. So we're just so thankful. Um, it says here that her final spinal surgery is October 24th and 25th, so we want to pray for that. And November 4th, she is getting her port taken out, which is a huge deal. We want to pray that everything goes well with that. And November 30th is her last dose of chemotherapy, and she gets to ring her bell at Hershey Medical Center that she doesn't have to do this anymore. And from there, she's off to Disney World in December. So we just want to continue that nothing goes wrong and that all of this works out. And it's just an amazing story for a four-year-old little girl who's going to get a second chance at life. So definitely want to praise that. And now we'll just bow our heads in prayer for our offering this morning. Dear God, thank you for listening to all of our prayer concerns with our church here at Morning Hour Chapel and our community in East Berlin and New Oxford and all the surrounding areas. We know that you hear our prayers and we know that you're doing every single thing that you can do for us to help us through these storms. We know that you are with us and that you wrap your arms around us to help us through these days. We thank you so much for all the love and support that we get every day from everyone here at church, our friends and our family. And we just thank you, Lord, for all the good days that you give us. We pray for our church and this offering that we can continue to be a light in your community and offer fun events and different things for children to teach them your word, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How many of you were at the uh, fall festival yesterday? That was a great day. We had great weather for it, had some good chili. Uh, we had a two-way tie for first place, two-way tie for second place. Um, so <laughs> the way that it worked out. Um, but we had a really good time. Thank you to uh, Chapel Lights for all of the people on that team for putting that together. It was just a good time yesterday. We had several families who um, I don't remember having ever seen here. Um, at the church before, um, so hopefully they uh, were able to have a good time, and I know that I saw a lot of people talking to some of those new folks. So, how many of you use social media? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever the newest app is out there? No social media, nobody? Oh, I think some of you are not telling the complete truth. 
But each of these apps were created so that we could connect with people that we know. We could share messages back and forth. We could share pictures of our meals that we eat and our children as they grow up. Uh, I know right now it's senior time and parents of seniors are posting pictures of all of their seniors. Um, and of course, we like to pass around funny cat videos and things like that on social media, right? And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Pastor Joe, you started your sermon exactly the same way last week. <laughs> Sounds awfully familiar. And it is, and bonus points if you actually realize that, uh, that this is how I started my sermon last week. But my point for talking about social media this week is just a little bit different. Uh, this week I want to talk about how social media works for us. And when I first discovered, uh, well, it was MySpace, which lasted for like a minute, and then Facebook came out, and that, of course, overshadowed MySpace, and, we, and now we uh, use Facebook for a lot of things. But I wasn't really sure what the big deal was, and I actually didn't start on Facebook like when all of my other friends were starting. Oh, Facebook, this is great. And I didn't really, I didn't see the big deal. But finally, I was convinced, yeah, get on Facebook and see people's food pictures. Um, but pretty soon, I found out that I could connect with people. Not only the people that I knew, but the people all of a sudden that maybe I hadn't seen in like years. Like friends from high school I started connecting with. Friends that uh, when I lived down in Florida, uh, connected with some of those folks that I hadn't seen in like 15 years. And... It was interesting to kind of get my Facebook started filling up with the things that all of these people were doing and talking about. But I, I noticed something. Even though we had known each other for, for years prior, right? My high school, of course, you know, in high school, you get to know all of your friends for like four years. But after I lost touch with them and then reconnected with them on Facebook, I noticed that it, I really wasn't reconnecting with them. You ever notice that? You find somebody that you haven't talked to for a while or seen in a while, and you get together and you talk about all the, the old times, and then you talk about what's going on now, and then you kind of run out of things to say. Because you don't share a life together anymore. You don't have a lot of the same uh, interests. You don't have a lot of the same friends. It just it gets a little weird after a while, right? Unless you are actually been friends with these people all throughout that time and you know them, it, it gets a little weird. Anybody else experience that, right? You run into somebody or you find somebody on Facebook. And it's not that we don't like these people. It's not that we don't care about these people. It's just that we don't share that active experience anymore. And another thing I've noticed is that unless... I interact with people off of social media, so uh, I'm, I'm friends with a bunch of you guys on social media, I see your posts, and then I get to talk to you on Sunday so I can actually come up and say, hey, you know, I saw that, uh, you know, Bermudian Springs won the football game and it was a really good game and all this, you know, and I can actually talk to you about it. If I'm connected to you offline, then... Facebook kind of enhances that a little bit, and it tells me the things that are going on when I'm not in your presence, you're not in my presence, but we can talk about later. But for people that we don't, people that we're not familiar with on a, on a daily, weekly basis, it, it's just different. And I can hit my like button, 
And really, that's all that's expected of me. I like your picture. I like your message. But I don't get deep in with these people and in their lives. And human beings were created to do life together. And if, any, if, if COVID-19 taught us anything, it is that when we are separate, when we have to socially distance, when we can't go and be with the people that we, that we love, that are our friends, relationships can start to get a little more difficult. It's, a, it's harder unless we are really, really intentional about picking up the phone every day, emailing, texting, doing all those things to keep up with our friends. You know, so uh, uh, psychologists determined that there was a real kind of mental health issue that started developing because we were apart. We couldn't gather together. And God created men and women. He created them to be together. Created woman because he said it was not good for a man to be alone. If he had created woman first, he would have probably created man and said it's not good for woman to be alone. Basically, what he's saying is it's not good for us to be alone. We're created to have relationships with people. I'm not just talking about husband and wife. I'm talking about friends. I'm talking about family, all of these things. And several years ago, Wendy and I um, renewed our wedding vows. We did it for our 15th wedding anniversary. So like, what, seven years ago now? And we did this thing. Um, and you might have seen it at weddings, uh, called the cord of three strands. Anybody ever seen the cord of three strands at a wedding? So it's this, it's this thing that couples do um, during their wedding ceremony, and, and basically what they do is, is one strand represents the bride, one strand represents the groom, and then the center strand represents God. And the couple will kind of braid their strings around that center string around God. And it's a, a meaningful way to kind of uh, you know, express that they want God to be the center of their marriage, of their relationship. And the cord of three strands actually comes, the idea comes from a passage in the book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is known as one of the books of wisdom in the Old Testament. It's widely believed to be written by Solomon, who also wrote the Proverbs. Um, and Solomon was considered to be the wisest man to ever live. So we've got this book where he writes all kinds of different wisdom. And of course, if you read Ecclesiastes, a lot of what you'll hear is not necessarily the most positive things in the world. Uh, the most famous uh, passage or the most famous quote that he says over and over again is, vanity, vanity, all things are vanity. And what he's saying is that we can live this whole life, and if we don't live it with God at the center then it's just, it's vanity. It's a, it's a breath of wind and nothing more. But in, Eccles in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, uh, we read this passage, um, and we're in Ecclesiastes 4.8, um, and we read this, One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This guy is utterly alone. He doesn't have anybody to work for. He doesn't have anybody that he can care about. He doesn't have uh, children to leave an inheritance to. And the author calls this an unhappy 
business. But he goes on and he says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Two people are better than one. Three people are better than two. And of course, having God as the center of all of our relationships makes that cord unbreakable. But this passage indicates that there is strength in numbers. How many of you have experienced that, that there is strength in numbers? Uh, we had our pep rally on Friday, and we had uh, the football team was playing tug-of-war against the faculty, and the faculty only sent out like three guys, and we got all these football players. Of course, they lost because they didn't have strength in numbers. And then they said, well, let's try it again, and they brought like seven or eight faculty members and kind of evened up the sides, and the faculty still lost because we're old. But, but we, were, we didn't lose as easily uh, the second time as we did the first time. There's strength in numbers. And we've been looking at these 10 core values of the Brethren in Christ Church. And the 10 values help us to focus our faith, help us to strive to know God, help us to live our lives in a ways that please Him. And so far we've explored the values of experiencing God's love and grace, which means that we accept the truth that we are sinners, we accept the truth that we need God's grace, and we come to the realization that we need to ask for forgiveness for our sins. That's the first one. That's the most crucial one. That's the one that has to come first. And then all of the others come behind that. We talked about believing the Bible as, a pri as God's primary way of communicating with us. He had people write down through inspiration, these things that he wanted us to know about him, about uh, his character, about his nature, and about how he wants us to live. And we've seen what it means to worship God with everything that we do and with everything that we are. And we've discovered the central role of the Christian, which is following Jesus. This week, we're going into the fifth core value of the Brethren in Christ Church, and this is called belonging to the community of faith. And what it says is we value integrity in relationships. We value mutual accountability in an atmosphere of grace, love, and acceptance. That's what the core value reads. So let's unpack that a little and see what we're talking about. You see, the church was created by Jesus Christ. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, we believe that. The church was founded by Jesus Christ. And he created the church to be a community of disciples. And we see over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus is rarely without his 12 apostles, right? That's kind of where he started this group of people that were almost always with him unless he was going off by himself to pray. 
or if he was sending them off someplace else. But even then, when he sent them off someplace else, he never sent them off alone. At the very least, he sent them off in pairs because two are stronger than one. Two are better than one. If one stumbles, the other can pick him up. So Jesus already had this kind of model of people being together. Now Jesus, of course, founded the church universal. That's the church all around the world. Every believer who believes in Jesus Christ, that's the church. But like I said, we see through Jesus' example and his practice that there also ought to be local communities where believers might gather together. Jesus didn't call all of the people in Galilee together in one place for him to preach and teach and heal. He went to their community. And he went to their communities because each community had different needs. Each community had a different type of group of people that needed to be ministered to in specific ways. Yes, they all needed healing. That was kind of a universal thing. But Jesus did a lot of his teaching. Jesus did a lot of his ministry based on the community in which he was standing at the time. So we've talked over the past couple of weeks about serving Jesus by worshiping the Father, by knowing and doing Jesus' words in the Scripture. And we even talked about making sure that we read the Bible every day so that we can know what God is expecting of us. And some of you uh, started a Bible reading program, which is great. You took that year uh, through the Bible. Um, if, if a year through the Bible is really daunting for you, try 90 days. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have a combined total of 89 chapters. Read a chapter a day in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for 90 days. You're going to get a good experience of what Jesus taught us by reading these Gospels. But we've been talking about all these things. And all of these things that we've been talking about can be both communal acts, right? We get together, we study the Bible, we get together, we worship God, but they're also individual acts. We sit at home and we study the Bible. We worship God in our car as we're driving to work. This is where we're starting to get to the point of worshiping and serving Jesus in community, as a group. And all of these things, the Bible reading and, and prayer and and study and worship, these are supposed to prepare us for our mission that we're supposed to do together. We are supposed to, as Jesus told us, make disciples of every nation. We are supposed to be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when Jesus left this earth, he told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. And they did. They gathered together. They stayed in uh, what the Bible calls an upper room. So they all stayed together. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 12, we read, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, or the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And they entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying, and there were Peter and James 
and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Those were the apostles. And at that time, there were 11 of them. Judas Iscariot, who had betrayed Jesus, had killed himself. But the Bible goes on to say all of these were with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers. So it wasn't just these 11. There were more people. And in Acts chapter 2, we learn that there were 120 people that were together, that were Jesus' disciples. And the first thing we read, after we read that they were devoted to prayer, after we read that they were together, we read that they held a church business meeting. That's the very next thing that happens. In the rest of Acts chapter 1, we read about the apostles and the rest, and they, one of the things that they did is they felt they needed to elect somebody to take Judas Iscariot's place because they believed Jesus called 12 people to be apostles. There should be 12 apostles. We need to have somebody to take Judas's place. It was the first church board meeting. And they were all together. And they were trying to make this decision about who would, would follow Judas. And it was an important piece of business to them. This was something that they felt they needed to do before they did anything else. But they didn't just choose anybody. It wasn't just like this open popularity election where everybody stood up and said, oh, I want to be an apostle, oh, I want to be an apostle. Let's vote and we'll have, see who the apostles are. All 120 got together and they decided on some criteria for what it would mean for somebody to be able to be an apostle. And we read about the criteria in verses 21, uh, sorry, 21 and 22. And they said, this is the criteria. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. One of these men must become an apostle. So it wasn't just this haphazard kind of thing. The church decided on what kind of person was going to fill that position. And then they prayed. They prayed for God to show them who it should be to fill that position. And they actually had two candidates. And we don't know if it was just two candidates because only two of them filled all those criteria, but we ended up with two candidates. And they prayed and they said, God, which one? Which one of these men should be numbered with the rest of the apostles? And after they prayed, they did something called casting lots. Casting lots is uh, a, a lot, uh, kind of what we think of as rolling the dice or flipping a coin. But they believed that through prayer that God would guide the result of casting these lots. And they did. They cast lots, and they ended up calling a man named Matthias, who became the 12th apostle. And it's interesting because Matthias, we rarely see in the rest of Scripture. We rarely hear anything about him throughout the rest of the New Testament. 
but here he is being called as the 12th apostle. So the first gathering of believers, after Jesus left, they prayerfully considered a problem. They prayerfully considered something that they felt was important to do, and then they trusted God to be in their presence to guide them in finding that solution to that problem. This is what Morning Hour Chapels Board does every month. We gather together and we consider the things that are going on in the church. And a lot of it is, you know, is the building going to fall apart? No, it's not going to fall apart. Great. Uh, but some of those things, how are we going to go forward with this ministry? There's a ministry that somebody wants to start. How are we going to go forward with that? Who's going to be able to serve in these ministries? Who's going to be able to lead? these ministries. And we have these discussions. This month we're going to be discussing um, our, our annual meeting, which comes up in January. We're already starting discussions because we need to decide who we want to ask to uh, be leadership in various ministries. We need to decide on the church budget. We need to do all of those things. But I have never been to a church board meeting at Morning Hour Chapel where we didn't start and end in prayer. And we pray at the beginning of every meeting that God will guide our conversations. God will give us wisdom to discern what it is that he wants for this congregation of people. And at the end, we pray that we have heard his wisdom and his guidance. And that he will give us the strength to move forward. And if something isn't the way that he wants it to be, that he will make sure that it doesn't happen. Because we're human. But we get together and we discuss these things. And there are some people who believe that being a member of a church really isn't that big of a deal. And some say, well, it isn't. Well, some say, yes, it is. But they don't believe that becoming a member of a congregation of believers is, is important, is necessary. We talk a lot about membership at our board meetings. And I talk about it here. We have our church membership uh, meetings coming up in November. And our new members are going to be welcomed uh, the same day as the Thanksgiving luncheon in the fall. So people come up to me, they'll say, oh, I don't want to become a member because if I decide to leave the church and then dot, 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 and fill in the blank, whatever it is that you want to say. People feel like joining a church is like joining the Kiwanis or the Lions Club. And it's not. Joining the church is not about joining a club. It's not just about being able to vote on church business on the last Sunday in January. That's not what church membership is, even though that is a couple of the things that our church members do. The single most important aspect of binding yourself in membership to a congregation can be summed up in one word. Accountability. We don't like that word, accountability. We don't want people to hold us accountable for things. We want to hold other people accountable for things. But we don't like that word. But Scripture is full of references about the church as the body of Christ with a primary reason 
of acknowledging that we want to be accountable to one another, that we want to grow in faith, we want to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we know that it is difficult to do that by ourselves. And I don't know if any of you felt this way during COVID when we were shut down for 10 weeks and we were just doing the live stream services and everything, and I came in here and I preached a sermon to a camera and we posted it on Sunday mornings and I watched it, a lot of you guys watched the, the, the service, but did you feel like a community during that time? Did you feel like we were, to, I mean, yeah, we were watching together and that was kind of community, but it just didn't feel the same, did it? But one of the things that kind of dropped away and I think dropped away from a lot of churches is this idea of account, mutual accountability. Scripture in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25 says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And he's talking about that last day of the Lord when Jesus finally comes. And a lot of pastors will preach sermons and they will use this, let us, uh, not neglecting to meet one another, or not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some to make people feel, feel guilty about not coming to church. That's not what this passage is about. This passage is about the sentence before that. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Doesn't that sound cool? Stirring up one another to love and good works. The Greek word here for stir up is paroxymos. And paroxymos is defined like this. Stirring up. Provoking. Exasperating. And even disagreeing. That's what stirring up means. That's what that word means here. This is not a warm and fuzzy word. This is not, oh, let's all get together and we'll just have a big love in and a love fest. We'll hold hands and we'll laugh and we'll do everything. That's not what this is. This is a confrontational word. This word for stir up, it quite literally means challenge one another. That's what it means. Challenge one another. Another term for that might be get under each other's skin. We don't like to think about that though, do we? Get under each other's skin about loving and doing good works. Anybody have somebody that gets under their skin? Nobody. No, just me. I'm the only person that has people that, have, that get under their skin, I'm sure. We all have people. Stop looking around at other people. <laughs> Especially your spouses. No, don't, don't, don't do that. Put it this way. Who are the people in your life who want to see you be better? Who are the people in your life who want to see you be better? Who are the people in your life 
that will see you doing something and have the strength and the courage to say, that's not making you better. That might be making you worse. Who are those people? Usually, it's our family and friends, right? It's the people that we trust, the people that we love the most who love us the most. Because if it comes from somebody that we don't know, right? Stranger comes up and says, let me lay down some truth for you. You shouldn't be doing that. Who are you? Who are you to tell me what to do and what not to do, right? That's how we feel. But if mom looks at us, if dad looks at us, if brother or sister look at us and say, dude, what are you doing? We are much more likely to, to, to listen, but we're also much more likely to be cheesed off about it, right? We don't like people telling us that we can't do something. We don't like people telling us that we're not living our lives the best way that we know how, even if it's our family. But you know what? They get under your skin. After you've yelled at them and ran out of the room and slammed the door and jumped onto your bed and started saying things like, they tell me, how can they possibly, and I'm doing all this and I'm doing all that. And well, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe I do, well, I do those things, but they shouldn't be telling me, well, maybe they're telling me because they love me. I don't, well, and they get under our skin because we know they love us. Because they, we know that they want the best for us. That is what church members are supposed to do for one another. We're supposed to get under each other's skin to provoke us to love and good works. The writer of Hebrews here isn't giving some feel-good instruction about getting together at church on Sundays. He's telling us, get in each other's faces. He's telling us, make sure that you love that person enough to tell them if you see something that is not pleasing to God. And this cannot happen with a bunch of people that just get together on an hour, for an hour and a half on Sundays, go their merry way, and don't have any kind of connection to one another. But when we become members of the church, and I don't know why this is, but suddenly it becomes more important. It becomes more crucial to our faith that we help others along in their journey of faith. It just does. And this is why we become members of the congregations where we gather. We give one another permission. I give you permission to hold me accountable. If I'm saying or doing something that you think is not pleasing to God, I give you permission to walk up and say it to my face. And you give the rest of the members of this congregation the permission to do the same thing. Not because we want to confront you because we want to be mean. We want to confront you because we love you. Because we want to see you live your life for Jesus Christ. And Jesus told us this is the way that it should happen. In Matthew chapter 18, 
And again, I hear this preached a lot, and sometimes I don't know that it's preached the way that it should be. But most of us are familiar with this passage in Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17, where Jesus talks about what happens if a brother or a sister sins against you. And it reads this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. This is the first step. This is what we're supposed to do when we belong to a community of faith. We're saying, I give you permission to confront me if I sin against you, and I want you to come to me directly. Do you know why Jesus wants us to come to each other directly if there is something that has been wrong between two people? I'll tell you. And I believe that this is the name of a demon, and that demon's name is gossip. I'm telling you. How many times has somebody come up to you and told you about something that somebody else was doing to you or to somebody else, and then all of a sudden it gets all around the church? Hey, did you hear that so-and-so is doing this and so-and-so, and they're having this problem? Oh, and they might leave the church because they can... And there's, oh, see, now they're sitting on opposite sides of the church. They don't even sit on the same side of the church anymore. And, You think gossip doesn't tear apart a congregation? It does. And that's why Jesus tells us, go to the person. If somebody has done you wrong or you feel they've done you wrong, go to the person alone. Alone. Do what you can to work it out. Because if you work it out alone between the two of you, your relationship is going to get stronger because of it. And the church is going to be stronger because of your relationship. But sometimes, and Jesus knows this, sometimes this doesn't work. Sometimes it doesn't happen that way. So Jesus goes on. He tells us what to do next. If your brother does not listen... Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is the next part in being members of a congregation. It means that other people are available to help you try to reconcile with your brother. This is not a ganging up. This is not a piling on. This is not, you know, three people going against one. This is one person and another person with a couple of people listening to both sides. Because let's face it, sometimes our side is not 100% accurate, and neither is theirs. That's what Jesus tells us to do. It's just simply a way for you to go to your brother or to your sister and have somebody witness the conversation. That's all it is. The last part of Jesus' instruction, probably the single hardest instruction for the church anywhere. Jesus tells us if he refuses to listen to them, if he refuses to listen to the witnesses that you have taken with you, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, most of us are going to say, that's crazy. 
I'm not letting anybody stand up in front of the whole congregation of people and telling them what I might have done wrong to you. I'll walk out that door first. And they do. They do. Because it's easy. Much easier just to run away from a, a situation, run away from a problem, than it is to confront it. And for that person, well, I, I came to you, I, I came to you with witnesses. Jesus is saying that it is okay. Jesus is saying that we all, as a congregation, give each other permission to confront somebody who is guilty of sinning against a brother or a sister. And this is hard. Most of us have never experienced this in our entire lives at any church that we've ever been to. Maybe one or two. But this doesn't happen. Because it should be a rare occurrence. I should be able to go to you individually and say, I, you've done something wrong against me. And we should be able to work it out. And if we can't work it out together, I'll bring a couple of people with me and we'll talk it out ourselves while they're listening as impartial people. 99% of the time, I've discovered that church members want that reconciliation. But that 1% of the time where it just doesn't happen, where it doesn't work, Jesus says, do this. Take it before the church. Let the church know what is going on. Do you know why? So there's no gossip. So that we know what's going on from the mouths of the people who know what's going on. Not spreading things around and whispering. Anybody ever play the telephone game? Yeah. Play this big game of telephone. And all of a sudden, all the facts get distorted. This, this group gets mad at this group, and that group gets mad at the other group. This is why Jesus tells us to communicate these things. But the second reason that this never happens is because even though we say we agree to hold each other accountable for everything that we say and everything that we do, what we really mean is that we agree to hold other people accountable. We do not ourselves want to be held accountable. And if I'm going to be made to be held accountable, I'm just going to leave and I'll find another church. Or I won't find any church and I'll stay home on Sunday mornings. And sadly, that's a lot of what happens as well. Jesus wants us to live our lives so that they are pleasing to the Father. And believe it or not, Jesus has led every single one of you to this congregation, to this place. He wants us to agree to hold each other to the standard that Jesus holds to us to the standard of living lives pleasing to God. Do you know why Jesus wants us to do those things? Because we're battling spiritual battles. We're battling spiritual battles in this building. You're battling spiritual battles at school or at work or at home. We gotta be willing to be together. We gotta be willing to let people tell us what's going on. This is why Jesus calls us to reconcile in this way. Church membership is not about getting a vote. Church membership is not about getting a better table at the Thanksgiving luncheon. 
It's not about uh, paying less for the bus trip that we're going to take to wherever we're going to take the bus. It's not about those things. Church membership tells other people who are sitting on Sunday mornings next to you, it's okay for you to come up and confront me if you think that there's something going on that shouldn't be happening. It's okay for me to go up to you and say, I'm having this problem. There's something going on and I need another person. I need another strand on my cord to help me have the strength to do whatever it is that I'm doing right now or to go through whatever it is I'm going through right now. Church membership tells us that we are serious about living our lives according to His instructions. We're serious about living our lives to please God, and we're serious about helping other people do the same thing. Church membership tells the world that we are not going to allow conflict to infiltrate the church. We're not going to allow gossip to infiltrate the church. We're going to take care of these things the way that Jesus Christ told us to do them. We're going to be different from the world. And I encourage you this morning, if you have been at Morning Hour Chapel for a while and you haven't seen the need to enter the membership covenant, I just want you to just think about what it is that Jesus actually calls us to. You're not joining a club. You're joining an army. An army that's fighting spiritual battles. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for all of the people who are sitting here. We thank you for the people who are watching on YouTube, whether they're watching right now, whether they're watching three weeks from now. Father, we believe that you have led each person to this place at this time because you want us together. Because you want to bind us into a cord with you as the center that can never be broken. Father, I just pray that you will help us to understand that yes, we are all going through battles, we are all going through struggles. Father, help us to know that we are stronger together. We thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to teach us how to deal with conflict in a way that is pleasing to you. And Father, I pray that we never forsake the assembling of ourselves together to worship you and that we will get in each other's face and get under each other's skin and provoke each other to love and to good works. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the result of the church working together to resolve conflicts. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything and you ask for it, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. 
And if two or three are gathered in Jesus' name and he is with them, 50 or 60 who are gathered in his name are going to be strong. God bless you this week.